Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slang and Bearcat Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? Nine times, nine times, Bearcats were drafted nine times. I don't remember the Bearcats getting drafted nine times. They were drafted nine times. That means it is a great freaking day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat fan. And we'll get into basketball too, but for now it's football, baby. <laughs> He's back. And it's very much like the Christoph Waltz meme from Inglorious Bastards. Nine, 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 nine. <laughs> actually, I guess that's not Christoph Waltz. That's actually whatever actor is playing uh, He Who Shall Not Be Named. Uh, so yeah, I was going not- for Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember Ferris missing school nine times. Nine times. <laughs> Just completely right over my head. But that's what happens when we don't pod together in a while. Hummer, welcome back to the podcast, buddy. We've missed you. Uh, it might have been a bit of a stretch saying, as always, because recently there's been some solo acts. There's been, you know, an interview that was kind of co-hosted by Sam. But it's great to have you back on the podcast. How are things going for you? Let's touch base on on how Hummer is as a human being. Uh, well, that depends. Uh, I don't want to get too too far down the rabbit hole of of fatherhood. But nine weeks in, you know, there's a, there's a theme here. Nine times, nine weeks, we're, we're going strong. I think, knock on wood, think we might be on the verge of a schedule. It's a beautiful thing. When it happens, when the schedule locks in, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I hope you get there. I also know that regression, like that, that dangerous R word, regression is always in the play. A few steps forward, a couple steps back, but but stay the course, my friend. The schedule will happen. All right. Well, that's that's exactly what we're here to talk about today is the ugly R word, kind of, because we did have Bearcats, nine of them drafted, and we had to replace nine of those positions in order to not see regression in the 2022 installment of the Cincinnati Bearcats football squad. It's a hell of a transition, a hell of a segue. Um Although I don't necessarily think we are talking straight up replacement. I think we are more in celebration mode. I'm in the mode of celebrating and honoring and commemorating this historic moment for the Cincinnati Bearcats football program. Cause it does feel like, it felt like when we made the college football playoff, that was sort of like the pinnacle, the climax of sorts. But in reality, this draft and this draft class is more of a representation of where our football program is at this specific moment. It's wild to think like, it's crazy to think actually that that's something that happened off the field or what happens as these guys transition from, from college football to the pros, what that, that, that might in itself be more significant in terms of what it represents for the Cincinnati Bearcats football program. But I think it's actually the case. I think that seeing sauce Gardner go number four in the entire draft, not number four in the second round, not number four, you know, in terms of cornerbacks taken. No, he was the fourth pick in the NFL draft, followed up by Pierce to the Colts, Cook to the Chiefs, Ritter to the Falcons, Sanders to the Cardinals, Bryant to the Seahawks, Ford to the Browns, Beavers to the Giants, and Curtis Brooks to the Colts. And that's not even getting into the to the uh, undrafted free agents like Vinny McConnell to the Steelers. Um, But Hummer, it's a monumental draft class. What were your thoughts watching day one, day two, and day three and seeing Bearcats taken all three days? You can't get over the excitement of seeing Cincinnati being called, watching Sauce Gardner highlights. And I even looked at one point, like, is it possible to get a New York Jets jersey that says Sauce? Look, I'm not a New York Jets fan but I'm a, I'm a sauce fan. Right. Uh, so like maybe I had to get that custom made sauce Jersey uh, to wear around. I will actually, the, the it's biggest, like, it's like a, it's like a Brazilian soccer player. Like the NFL <laughs> needs to modify to the rules 
instead of last names only, like, no, we're going to let guys choose the one name they go by. Go by. He's a, he's a Ronaldo type. I just go by sauce. Very, very progressive. Just put it's sauce on my jersey. Exactly. What, what, do you, what do you identify as your last name? Put it on the jersey. We're good to go. <laughs> <laughs> just, uh, the I, artist, uh, he's, a, he's a one name guy already. The, the football player formerly known as Gardner. <laughs> uh, I thought that was cool. The biggest surprise to me, though, and honestly, I, I think an absolute steal for Indianapolis was Alec Pierce uh, going at, at the number 21 pick overall. Uh, fantastic pickup by the Colts. I had a buddy text me. You mean 21, him, the 21st pick in the second round? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Uh, but it's 53rd overall. And I was like, dude, you guys got a stud. You guys got an NFL stud. He's big. He's fast. Big-bodied wide receiver. Knows how to time his jumps. His jumps well to pick balls up that that aren't necessarily on target. Which I know you guys aren't rocking Carson Wentz anymore, but that would have been helpful if you still had Carson Wentz. But if I'm not mistaken, you're you're rocking Matty Fly Fly Ice over there. Who's uh? You're probably still gonna need that. You're still gonna need that. You're gonna like having Alec Pierce on your squad. When we were texting about that pick, you you I was a little sound- off the reservoir about it. Uh, you seemed wary. You seemed you seemed a bit down or cynical about Pierce ending up in Indianapolis. I look at that as a pretty good landing spot. A, they tend to be pretty good identifiers of talent. Uh, they tend to draft pretty well. Um, and and it's not Carson Wentz throwing to him anymore, or it's not a washed up Philip Rivers. It could be a washed up Matt Matt Ryan, and and Matt Ryan may not do a lot of winning in the NFL anymore. But it is a wash up Matt Ryan. Let's be real. Uh, I, but when I when I watch Matt Ryan, he does have the ability of getting receivers their numbers. And if I'm looking for Alec Pierce to kind of step into an opportunity, that is not a, a roster that's loaded from a wide receiver standpoint. Michael Pittman Jr. is on the team. Uh, he has a lot of upside, a lot of promise. Other than that, like there's jobs up for grabs. And so I feel like that he's instantly stepping into a, a situation where he can kind of earn his role, make a name for himself and, and potentially see significant snaps as a rookie, which if you're Alec Pierce, you can't ask for much more than that. No, I was just a little bit of a homer, you know, secretly hoping that he slides further back down where the Bengals just need to get a pick and somehow he's still available and, and he gets a future hall of famer in uh, Joe Burrow throwing to him. But no, you're, you're hundred percent correct. It's a really great spot for him. And I couldn't be happier for him, you know, because like I said, for, to me, that was a surprise. You know, we were all expecting Des to actually be, you know, towards the back half of the of the first round, then ended up going three and actually had two Bearcats picked before him. And so tremendous, tremendous opportunity for Alec Pierce. Also great getting that once again, getting to see Bearcats getting reps on TV in front of crowds. You know, so the like, oh, my God, it was just it was so awesome. Well, we have five, five guys drafted in the top 100. You know, the, those first the days that people actually care to watch the draft uh, from a casual fan perspective. And that's that's what these guys are getting to see. So I was pumped about that. Uh, five, five of the I first was, 100, six of the first 109, seven of the first 156. And then we have the most out of any school. Third yes. most of any school. Correct. What was your thoughts on Des Ritter? What what did he fall back? Did was he drafted appropriately? Was was he was what was he what was the right word uh, uh, slept on? What 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 was what's going on there? I think it's an interesting case study. I think that watching Des slip, I think in a vacuum, it was it, it would be kind of viewed as disappointing. But what happened basically from my from my vantage point? is that the NFL decided the teams that needed quarterbacks decided we're just not sure. And we know that we also have a draft class coming up in 2023. That is going to be more highly touted. It's going to include Bryce young. It's going to include, um, see, I mean, we, I should double check this, but is CJ Stroud going to be eligible for the draft next year from Ohio uh, state? Cause that that's another guy that, that has a fantastic pedigree fact check that for me while I'm, while I'm talking here, but, but Ritter sliding, I think had less to do with Ritter specifically and more to do with sort of where the NFL consensus was on, on the quarterback class at large. That said, I, I loved seeing the Pittsburgh Steelers of all teams reaching on, on Kenny Pickett and seeing them draft him in the first round, 
small hands pick it. This is an, an absolute blessing for the Cincinnati Bengals and the rest of the AFC North when you look at them putting all of their weight behind a quarterback that, to me, has such limited upside. I mean, this is like a Baker Mayfield type pick. There's no fear. He's not going to be a guy who's winning you games. And if you're if you're a team like the Falcons, you get Des in the third round, pick number 74 overall. And all of the buzz heading into the draft was that Des was impressing people behind the scenes. They liked the physical traits he brings to the table. He did show that once he started working with a guy like Jordan Palmer, that a lot of the kind of the, the basic tools that you can have or the way he throws the ball, the footwork, the essentials you have to have to be an accurate quarterback, we saw them improve dramatically from junior year to senior year. And that's based on working with an, an expert of the craft, working with someone who's identifying the weaknesses in your mechanics and addressing them and then seeing Des implement them. So we've already seen he knows how to improve his game. Now you've got a team like the Falcons who can, who can bet on Des continuing to put in that work. And there's a massive opportunity there to win a job. Marcus Mariota, I think, is, is the expected starter. It, there was another expected starter when Des came into UC as a freshman, and he won that job. I, I am going to be surprised if Des Ritter is not their week one starter based on work ethic, talent, and just overall moxie. That dude just knows how to get it done. It's funny you mentioned Marcus Marietta because that's who I've been hearing, at least on my perusing of Twitter's, uh, the or should, should I say the Elons, that that that's who Des is reminding the the front office uh, of the Falcons, and that's one of the reasons they picked him was that they they viewed him as having a similar tool set to Marcus Mariota. But on fat checking you on the twenty three ja- draft, uh, you're looking at Bryce Young, C.J. Shroud. And uh, actually sleeping on Miami here, Tyler Van Dyke and Spencer Rattler. So you're, you're talking four pretty decent QBs in that class. Um, yeah, I can see people waiting. I also think that Pittsburgh Rattler. did. I, I did think that Pittsburgh didn't take Des because they had a familiarity already with, I've been calling him Kirby Puckett just because fuck it. <laughs> But Kenny Pickett, yeah, uh, he's going to get picked off a lot in the AFC. That's fine. It's all good and dandy. But I think they had a huge familiarity with him because they play in the same building, right? They practice at the same facilities, so they already they have a they have that level of trust in 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 knowing him and the relationship that's already there. It's probably looking at him, maybe saying similar, obviously different skill sets, but yeah, well, similar in terms of overall skill and system fit, whatever. So they they go with him. Des falls down. But he ends up landing somewhere where there actually is a need. Marcus Mariota is not that great of a quarterback. And I don't think it'll be, it's inconceivable to say that Dez can't win the job as a rookie in the NFL. It's not inconceivable. And I think that the, the odds are already trending toward him being one of the favorites for rookie of the year. A, because there is an intrinsic bias and, and favoritism toward quarterbacks. And so if he does become a starter, he will naturally. I thought, I thought you were about to say because of the intrinsic bias in this podcast. <laughs> no, no I 100% thing. thought that's where you're taking it. There's no <laughs> such thing uh, that exists there. But to, to make fun of the Steelers just a little further, they watched the AFC playoffs last year, and they saw Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Ryan Tannehill. Uh, so so they, all, just, they just got they, scared. They just they got saw, scared and said, no, no we quit. No, they said we have all these, we have these, you know, this elite quarterbacking in, in the, uh, in the AFC and let's go get the guy who projects to be most like Ryan Tannehill. That's how we're going to, you know, climb our way back to the top of the AFC. It's, it's ridiculous. It's an absurd pick. It's such a reach. They could have gotten him several rounds later, I'm sure. But um, look, the AFC is absolutely loaded with quarterbacks and it's loaded with rosters that are fit to, uh, you know, be dominant for, for years on end with Herbert and Burrow and Mahomes and Allen Ritter ending up in the N- NFC in a division with a, a saints organization that is ravaged uh, by payroll issues by a retiring quarterback uh, by a retiring coach uh, with the Carolina Panthers organization. That's- you mean a coach who is conspiring with Tom Brady <laughs> to take ownership of the Miami dolphins. 
retiring in air quotes, <laughs> and that's a whole nother rabbit hole. Um, but oh, we need to have an we need to start an NFL podcast just on that whole situation because that is fascinating. Sam, the NFL conspiracy. Oh, Sam touched on it already. No, no, no. It's a it's it is it's a wild conspiracy, and it and it's something that uh, for sure was going to happen. It was for sure going to happen. When you have sleep, when you have a sleepless night ahead of you, and it's like two a.m. and you just don't know what to do, and you text me and I'm up. We'll come up here. We'll record an after hours podcast where we go deep on the Tom Brady conspiracy to leverage his kind of late career um, pre senior citizen career into ownership stake in the Miami Dolphins. It was a wild play that only got thwarted by Brian Flores lawsuit against the Dolphins. It's pretty remarkable. But alas, the Panthers are led by Sam Darnold right now, and that's not going anywhere fast. And then there's Tom Brady with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who's, you know, he's, he's going to wash up soon. So my point is, yes, would, would Ritter have liked to be picked earlier? Of course. Would I have liked to see Ritter sneak into the first round? That would have been great. How about second round? That would have been great, too. But ending up with the Atlanta Falcons franchise with that type of opportunity in front of him, to me, that's a pretty ideal opportunity for Des Ritter. I mean, I agree. He was the only, and there's only one quarterback taken in the first round. So it, it wasn't a heavy need by most teams. And you'd rather see him go somewhere to be able to, to fight for a starting position from day one, as opposed to being a, a, a backup. Because uh, he's, he's a guy who's sent, in my mind, thrives when his feet are put to the fire. You know, having him sit, sit behind someone for two years isn't necessarily, you know, it's not the Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre model here. You know, it's, it is the Joe Burrow model. Go out and just do it, right? Do it, learn from your mistakes, and, and then attain, attain greatness throughout your career. So congratulations to all the Bearcats. And is, is there more to touch on here? Like, uh, well, I mean, surprising sauce- that Cook, Cook, Cook going above uh, Kobe Bryant? That was for sure surprising. So if I don't know who had it on their board that Brian Cook would be the third Bearcat off the board and that it wouldn't be, uh, and that it would also be above Des Ritter. That parlay cashed in big, and we should talk to Sam about whether he hit on it. But it that's an incredible rise, especially because one of the there weren't a lot of questions about last year's roster. And when we did the preview with Joe Barnett, you know, we we easily landed on the offensive line being, you know, the biggest, the biggest potential Achilles heel of this team. And it proved to be correct. Um, safeties though, was something that like, you looked at it and you're like, man, how are we going to replace James freak show Wiggins? How are we going to, you know, replace Derek forest? And the fact that both of these guys are late draft picks uh, and, and now on NFL rosters, how do you supplant them? Brian cook was an obvious answer. What I didn't see coming is him getting drafted well above both of those guys and ending up a second round pick of one of the most successful NFL franchises in recent history on a, on a team led by Pat Mahomes and coached by Andy Reid. That's, that's ideal. That's an absolutely fantastic outcome for Cook and a huge opportunity again where you can have Bearcats playing on winning franchises and winning teams and being able to make plays at the biggest moments, which as we get into talking about the effects, positive or negative about this draft class, I, that's going to be big. In my opinion, that's sort of foreshadowing what we're going to, what we're going to talk about later here with the Cincinnati Bearcats football program. Well, you got that. And then I'm not going to lie. Like I'm liking the Beavers ones too. I looked at Julian and said, dude, do I need to also get a custom made Beavers Jersey? you know, for the New York giants. Uh, and that's, everybody's going to think I'm like New York team. I'm like, no, 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 no. Just saw some beavers, beaver sauce. All right. I got some beaver sauce up here in NYC. <laughs> I don't think anybody, you know, is going to blame you living in NYC owning both of those jerseys. I think in fact, we'll respect you greatly and you should order them right after we're done recording. The it's happening. I'm also getting just for the record. Uh, I did ask Julia to give me for you guys out there. Uh, I want to find one, a real one. I don't want one of these knockoffs. I want a real McPherson, Cincinnati Bengals McPherson jersey. Oh, God. I want the kicker's jersey, all right? I want it. I want it bad. (laughs) (laughs) The only, the only, well, look, McPherson's an absolute badass. And behind Tucker, 
there's nobody in the NFL from a kicking standpoint that you respect more. The guy's got a huge, uh, he's got, he's got Look, testes. He's got, he's got gonads. He's someone he's, that <laughs> he sat on the sideline to watch the NFL, a Super Bowl halftime show. And I can tell you this for a fact, for a certain, we did not lose that game because he sat on the sidelines and watched that show. Good on him for wanting to get out there and seeing the best of the best of the best performing all at the same time on one stage. I applaud him. I do not think that's the reason why we lost. Kyle McPherson has balls bigger than anybody I've ever known. Dude, just like he's a legend. All right. He goes out there and says, guys, we're going to the AFC championship game. Knocks in a 50 something yard field goal. Come on. When, come on. This guy is an absolute stud legend. I'm in there for it. I want his jersey. I'm getting a sauce, Beavers, McPherson. All right. Those those are the three trifectas right now of the jerseys that I'm I'm chasing after. Let me just let me just put this in your head and you can decide what to do with it. Shane Graham had a fairly successful stint with the with the Bengals. And at one point he went on a tear of being one of the you know one of the better kickers in the NFL. He was never the best. He certainly never had the profile of McPherson based on you know the playoff success and this rookie year run that he had. But I'll say this at his at his peak, peep, some people probably decided to buy Shane Graham jerseys and they and they decided like that's the jersey I'm wearing to the tailgate. I'm going to get absolutely sauced in. I'm going to the game. This is going to be awesome because he's the kicker and he's really good. In about seven years, like the people who own Shane Graham jerseys, do they are they still happy about that investment, that purchase? But you had seven years, I guess, of like great Shane Graham wearing jerseyness. Kyle McPherson, he, he did he did something no one else is ever going to do, probably in the history of the sport. He's going to turn around and just say to you, before he's even kicked it, before he's even had a chance to be iced, guys, congratulations for going to the AFC Championship game. Then goes and knocks in the. All right, that's a legendary. I want it. I'm here for it. I can think of three kicker jerseys in the history of the NFL that were probably where you could wear them and you're not going to get laughed at. And that would be Adam Vinatieri. I, I suspect there's some Ravens fans walking around uh, with, with the Tucker jerseys. And then I think that the, the Sebastian Janikowski jersey slapped. Like, I think you can get away with that one. Given that there's only three, maybe Ray guy. I don't know. Maybe there's some Ray guy jerseys floating around out there. I don't know that this is the right move yet. I think you need to see a bit more before you buy this McPherson. Look, I'm putting all the chips on the table. I'm here for the guy. All right. I'm so supportive. Look, what's the worst that happens? Look, you're making I'm out a hundred bucks. I'm out a hundred bucks. Congratulations. Cool. I lost a hundred bucks on a Jersey. That's worthless that, but you know what? To me, it's great. I love it. It's a reminder of how great this postseason one was and what he did to make that so beautiful. What price do you put on this? This Pellegrino is brought to you by Kyle McPherson. Here, here's to you. <laughs> you're saying you're only out a hundred bucks, but how much does your self-respect cost? Oh, you know, buying the Jersey eh. of a kicker to me implies that the roster itself is void of talent or exciting players or people you can root for. This roster has Joe Burrow, Jamar chase T Higgins, Joe got the burrow, got the buried burrow Jersey already. Okay. I mean, so, you know, We'll, we'll keep going down the line, but you know, look, anyway. kickers never get any love. Look, we try to get rid of them in fantasy football, and look, I'm I'm guilty of that. We should get rid I of am, them. I am super guilty of wanting to eliminate the kicker in fantasy football. If you disagree with me, you're dumb. All right, frankly, you are dumb, and you you need to check yourself into a mental institution when you think that your fantasy football lineup should include a kicker. That that aside, they never get any love. Right. It's either you hate them that week or you love them that week. So I'm here to give Kyle McPherson some well-deserved love for what was an epic rookie season from a kicker. I just want to give him some love. All right. And if I can get an officially licensed one, so that way he gets a little kickback on it, a little Christmas bonus. I'm here to give Kyle McPherson a little Christmas bonus. All right. It's Evan McPherson for the record. I'm going to keep saying it. (laughs) Kyle. Wine, Let's, beer, Kyle, we're good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push forward through the kicker conversation that, that probably lost us half of our listeners, and I'm fine with it. It was, it was worth it. 
I did my best. I did my part. And I, as I feel like I did what I'm supposed to do as a friend, this, this was a draft. I, I don't want to linger too much more, longer on the results itself. I should say we didn't mention Curtis Brooks and that is a pretty cool outcome and, and kind of an unexpected outcome preseason. That is not a guy that everyone like was identifying and pinpointing as one of the obvious draft picks for the Bearcats. And that's clearly just work ethic development working in the program. It's another huge success story for Luke Fickle and his staff. But to me, one of the coolest outcomes of this NFL draft, given that it was lacking in that star power at the top and that we had a guy named Trayvon Walker drafted number one overall, which is still blowing my mind. But Sauce Gardner became sort of one of the two or three faces of the draft. Like this guy, Rich Eisen fell in love and therefore he's all over NFL Network. Mike Greenberg. But I mean, these guys, he was, he everywhere. went the wrong way too. He got lost, <laughs> lost in the sauce. My man, just like I called him Kyle, not Evan. It doesn't matter. Sauce got lost. And the response of some of the New York Twitter has been nothing short of spectacular. Uh, they go just like a jet to get lost going up to the stage <laughs> for the draft. And it's like, you guys don't understand what you guys just got. You guys got the Jets just got a generational talent at cornerback. Uh, what I am curious though, do you think Sauce Gardner is uh, putting a big target on his back? Is, is he, he's going up there talking about, and I get it. You earned it. Never left, never let a touchdown happen in your college career. It's a whole nother animal in the NFL. He's going to get torched, right? At some point, someone's going to torch him. Hummer, name a great quarter cornerback that who hasn't been torched. No, that put that doesn't put a big target on their back. Fair Quarterbacks enough. are innately cocky. They are they have in, incredible self-belief. They have me. an arrogance about them that you cannot and will not beat me. And if you do, I dare you to try it again because I'm picking off the next one. And I'm glad to see the sauce has that belief and has that confidence. And he does have to carry it into, into games and he does have to back it up. And he is in one of the toughest markets, if not the toughest market for potential failure. But I don't even think that's crossing his mind because he's he at the so, Jets, man. He's not, he's not on the Giants. He's so absolutely, absolutely sure of himself that he's going to get the job done at the professional level. So, yeah, I thought I loved him being one of the faces of the draft. I love seeing him have the vibe. I, I know he where he was wearing the, the two chains, the hot sauce, uh, Dude, the of, working hot sauce bottle, the working hot Money. sauce bottle was Money. pretty amazing. It would have been cool if it had sauce in it, in it the night of, and I, maybe it did. And I just, I didn't see that report, but, um, he had the energy and the vibe of like a kid just being absolutely thrilled and beyond belief of where he was speechless at times, uh, quite charming, quite endearing, and, and represented himself and the university well. So proud proud day, proud few days to be a Bearcat fan, given everything that we saw with, with Bearcat football players being drafted. But let's talk about these nine picks and what it means now for the football program moving forward. Does this resonate beyond this class? Does it impact how Luke Fickle recruits in the future or how the Bearcats are treated into the future. How do you see this playing out in terms of what it could mean for Cincinnati Bearcats football as they move into the big 12 here in a year? I think it's, it's probably not the answer. I think maybe people want to hear. I don't think this is the type of draft class that instantly, you know, says that you're you've arrived and that you're going to do this year in and year out of having nine, nine players drafted. It's the start. It's, it's the beginning of what could be because we know that Lou Fickle has stayed. We know that he's committed to staying. So in my mind, Luke Fickle is back to business as usual. Here's how we do things at Cincinnati. This is Clifton style. I think what it does probably do is get your foot into the door of some of these, of some of the more high, higher profile recruits. But I think the thing we need to keep in the back of our minds when we're saying, all right, well, are we going to have five-star recruits running through the door? Probably not. Because there are schools out there like Tennessee, like Texas A&M, who aren't shy about putting together multi-million dollar NIL consortiums to pay some of these top 
recruits top dollar to come play at your universities. So I think what it's going to do is going to get Luke Fickle access to the, the best of the best that aren't going to be getting paid the top dollars that they would have like A&M in Tennessee. I think we're going to get into the conversation maybe for some of those guys. And who knows if there's some sort of consortium that, that is being put together or some sort of fun, whatever the hell you want to call it. Maybe, maybe we do get a chance because they know Luke Fickle can develop players. So I definitely think it gets us in the conversation, but I don't think it's by any means a guarantee that it's going to result in, in sustained future success of nine draft players per class. I do think that you're downplaying it a little bit. I think that when you see this many players from get drafted from one team and it's not, we're not Alabama and Georgia. This isn't guys who were preordained to end up here that they were coming out of high school as these are surefire draft picks, but they're going into a football factory to get bigger, stronger, faster, and, and go, and go straight to the NFL. This is a class of, three-star guys of no star guys in the case of Brian cook of, you know, unheralded one scholarship offer type players who didn't necessarily have NFL aspirations. I shouldn't say aspirations. All of these guys, I'm sure. Prospects. They, they, believed- they, it wasn't like they were, they were, they didn't come in. What, what did uh, Bryce young say? Oh, everybody always doubted me. No one's doubted you in your life up until this point, Bryce Young. But these were players who truly have been doubted that you probably are never going to make it to the NFL, that you probably should go in and get your degree and get a backup plan for when you don't make make the, the cut. And he had nine of those players make it make it to the league. They were on Cincinnati because they were doubted, right? That's, that's the key. They were on well, Cincinnati because they were doubted. But now... If you're if you're a player out there, and and I get it, the NIL wrinkle is is the big wrinkle. We don't know. Get your foot in the door. That's why I say it's going to get your foot in the door it, to absolutely. have the conversations with these players, whether they come or not. I think that does depend on NIL. It's proof in the pudding. It's not. It's when Luke Fickle goes into homes and talks to players and builds relationships and says, "Come to our program," and with Brady Collins' tutelage in the weight room, and with our and with me and my coaching staff tutelage on the football side of things and the opportunities and atmosphere and sort of culture that we are building within Cincinnati Bearcats football, but around Cincinnati Bearcats football, you can come here and it's going to be something special for you. Oh, and by the way, we're heading to the big 12 with better competition, with more funding, with bigger platforms. And, and when you say that this, this can get our foot in the door and then it depends on what happens with regard to collectives and, and NIL consortiums. I love how you call it a consortium. That is happening. Like there, there are obviously there's enough whispers around town uh, and, and where, where you have it that we are leveraging up, where we are realizing that if we want to continue to play in the big boy realm of college football, college basketball, we have to be willing to put up some money and we need to be willing to find a way as a fan base, as a donor base, as a university to get the necessary capital to play in this field. And now from a, from a coaching staff, from an ability, from a development standpoint, we are on tier one in terms of, of, of what we can produce here at Cincinnati. To me, Luke Fickle goes in there and he can say with a straight face, we are one of the best 10 places you can come in the country in terms of development, in terms of getting you ready to get to that next level. We are there right now based on what we've done and how we, how things have trended here at Cincinnati. Now it's on those external, external forces to support that administration, to support fickle and to support. We'll talk about it later. West Miller as well. So, so I'm going to, I'm going to paint you the analogy here or the metaphor, whatever the hell we want to call it. You have Billy Bean out, out in Oakland who starts the whole Moneyball fate craze, right? He believes in it. He takes it. They, they do something with it, and then they kind of fall off the map. But it goes to the Red Sox who take it and add money to it and kind of perfect it, win a World Series. But right now, I view the Bearcats football program as being more like Tampa Bay. We're going to do more with less because of everything you just said. We're, we are we are probably going to have a, some sort of NIL fund. I imagine we are. I imagine that's in the works somehow, and that's that there's going to be some driver there. But it's probably not going to be to the tune of what's, what schools like 
the the SEC, some of these schools are going to be able to pull in. So we're going to do more with less. And that's where that sales pitch that you just, everything you just said is 100% true. I think where it makes a difference is, is it gets our foot in the door to have those those conversation with recruits who may, what, what I guess a good example here is even better. Luke Fickle recruits the Cincinnati to, in Ohio the way Ohio State used to do, right? And there's a there's a good piece on, if you go back to the archives on The Athletic from Justin Williams, where he talks about this, where Ohio State used to be, if you were a top Ohio higher recruit, nine out of 10 times you're going to Ohio State. Now, though, if you're a top Ohio State recruit, it's not necessarily that you're going to OSU because OSU has gone national. They're looking at the top guys in California, the top guys in Texas, top guys in Florida. So all those, those good recruits in this area are kind of like, well, now Cincinnati's the place to come. And this is a hotbed for football talent. And that's one of the reasons why you see a lot of hometown heroes here. And they're thriving because, one, they're good football players. They play in a great state for football, a great area. So I feel like that's where we're going to get even more exposure and in the, in the ring's going to expand because these players do know that, oh, okay, I may not be Ohio State caliber. I may not be Alabama caliber or, or LSU or Georgia, but I know I can go to Cincinnati. I can still get some money. I can get great teaching, and I can end up in the NFL. I can't necessarily do that at Kentucky, a lower-tier SEC school. I can't do that at Vanderbilt because Vanderbilt sucks. Uh, you can't do like that Denver. in a lot of places. Like I can't. Just, I, just, I, just can't want, I just want to pick on Vanderbilt because that's where Denbrock was, was originally, I think, thinking about going and somehow ended up at LSU. Thank you, Brian Kelly, by the way, for continuing to support the Bearcats program throughout all these years. I thank you for, for the loss that you took in South Bend this year. And I thank you for sucking so bad that Corey Kiner has been driven back into the arms of his or, Ohio lovers. Or, or, <laughs> or was it, I should say, Hammer, or was it Brian Kelly? Like if we're being intellectually honest, <laughs> have, have the tea leaves been in play for months now? They've been in play for months. Okay. <laughs> but it's, it is fun to blame Brian Kelly. Um, I, 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 think that, I think that's a real way to say it, though. I think that that's that is the truth We're we are on now a different tier and we have a different level of exposure and it's going to lead to greater success because we have stability in the program. And there are similarities in how NIL is working. And by the way, NIL is in air quotes because it has very much there's a lot of pay for play going on. And that's just the way it is, because the NCAA is not going to regulate this the way that it would need to be regulated in order to make sure that it's not schools luring kids to their university just to say with the money who's the kid, like the money, who's, the kid the, who's the kid from miami who recently just basically stood up and said if i don't get a bigger nia deal i'm gone isaiah wong boom like that's that's the shit we're dealing with all right and, and they're not going <laughs> to do shit about it either like that's that's just the new that's the new working order that's how things are going to go now i i would say though we are going to learn and we're going to see that nil is the same in some ways for football and basketball, but in many ways it's going to be different because there is so much more talent in football, just based on the nature of how big rosters are and, and just how many kids come to school every year to play football. You're just not going to see the same astronomical numbers for every player, the way you will see probably astronomical numbers for the top hundred or top 150 college kids in basketball. And I think you're going to see, a lot of that football money be heavily concentrated in the transfer portal where it becomes easy to pick off top quarterbacks. And when the coaching carousel happens, you've got package deals where quarterbacks and, and coaches are sort of going from point A to point B together with a, with an NIL sweetener that kind of helps nail in the deal. I do think that there's a lot of money ball to be played by UC still. It's still going to cost money and it's still going to require our collective to mobilize and raise funds and get in the game quickly if we want to sustain what we're doing and, and sustain our current trajectory. But I do think that the opportunity for Moneyball is a lot more available in football than it seems to be in basketball right now. To me, the vibe I'm getting from basketball is if you want to keep up, you better put up. And it's going to be, and, and fortunately, it's a little tease as we get into basketball. I do think the, Bear, the Bearcats are putting up. Well, here's what here's here's be my opinion on that. If I'm thinking about where the Bearcats kind of sit or could sit in this hierarchy of NIL, at least from a basketball perspective, we know that our donors who have gotten a reputation at times I've heard of being quote unquote cheap. I don't think that at all. We raised what was it? 80 million something dollars 
for a new new addition to the renovations of the stadium. We raised another some odd number of millions to renovate a basketball arena. And now we're looking at raising $100 million uh, for practice facilities for football. When you're able to go to a donor and say, look, all these things that you're donating to are help, help us get wins, help make the program better, help build prestige for the university. And But now all of a sudden you can go to them and say with the sales pitch, I don't, not in a university necessarily, but you know, the group, the group coming together and the donors come together saying, yes, we do need these facilities, but we can now directly impact the results on the court by actually providing dollars for funding for players. So the coaches can come to us and say, here's who we're targeting. Here's how they fit to the roster. Here's what we need from a resource perspective. And you can instantly get results within say a year or two, as opposed to waiting for facilities to be built three, four, five years down the road, then having those actually paying benefits immediately in, in terms of getting their dividends paid back. So I, I think you're going to see schools like Cincinnati, like us thrive in that because we do actually have a really large donor base, a very large alumni base. And I think we also have, I think we're going to have the ability to do this from like a smaller scale too, like uh, almost like a Kickstarter kind of stuff thing where, you know, we're out here and we're, we're, we're starting something where we can get people to come and say, Hey, we're going to start and donate for the sixth man. Uh, but then you have like, I think schools like Xavier are actually going to be the ones that actually do suffer from not having such a large alumni base, a large donor base who are capable of raising hundreds of million dollars for new facilities on a regular basis. I think those are the schools that are going to suffer. And I think that us getting into the Big 12 helps even further because of the fact that we're getting more media dollars. So we're going to be able to fund more facilities based off of actual revenue and fund players off of donors. We are going to thrive in this environment. Poor Xavier with this small, this small donor base. You show small schools. Oh, you don't oh. have the same money to pay. I'm sorry. Oh. You're not built for this new working order. I'm sorry. At least you have Sean Miller. That'll go well. He had the Adidas money. <laughs> but he spent it all at Arizona. <laughs> Sean, he's going to leave us again after a couple years. I hate that school. Anyway, Amr, let's. Um, I just had to point it out. I, I was like, I, I do think that's where it's going to go. Bigger. This is this is going to be an example of capitalism at its finest if it's not if it's not regulated. And I think Cincinnati's in a great spot to be able to take advantage of that. Yeah, to me, I think you made a great point there about the fact that it the infrastructure does exist. We do have a donor base. We do have big donors. We do have access to the types of uh, of capital that you're going to need in this new this new operating system that's sort of out in the open and transparent. And honestly, it should make people feel more comfortable. I think what our big donors sometimes are looking for is the inspiration. Luke Fickle has given them the inspiration and the reason to dream big and to believe that ROI is possible with this football program. And Wes Miller is doing a hell of a job building that same type of belief, maybe not on the court in year one, but in terms of, how ambitious and audacious he is in terms of who he's recruiting and who he wants to compete with and the type of program he wants to build. He's not approaching this as a coach who's saying, I'm going to find diamonds in the rough and mold them into these gritty, um, these gritty sort of defense first, make the occasional shot, grind our way to 61, 59 victories. He's saying, no, we are going to play great defense, but we're going to do it with great players and we're going to do it with talented players. And I want to make sure that we're getting those types of guys here at UC. Hummer, Ravon Griffith is officially a Cincinnati Bearcat. When does Isaiah Collier make his announcement? <laughs> oh, how greedy, how greedy, but I like it because I think, I think it's very much in play. It seems You've seen Isaiah Collier and Rayvon Griffith flirt with each other uh, via social media, back and forth. When are you committing? When are you committing? My commitment's open. Ooh, eye emojis. Uh, congrats, buddy. You're going to Cincinnati. We know Chad Dollar. We know his inroads in Georgia. And we know that the Bearcats are going all in on Isaiah Collier. And to me, landing Rayvon Griffith for 2023 should put all of our minds somewhat at ease with regard to how next season plays out and beyond. And in, in my opinion, 
next season is still very much going to be kind of that in between, you know, we're, we're trying to slap together, slap together a team that, you know, we'll, we'll crank out a few wins. The Landers Nolly commitment, it did a lot to put my mind uh, in a better place uh, in terms of what the product we're going to see on the court next season. But when you start landing guys like Rayvon Griffith, and if you add Isaiah Collier to that, and you potentially add another four star um, in Arrington page, all of the sudden you're looking at a potential top 10 basketball recruiting class. And Wes Miller is essentially signaling to the entire fan base. We're back bitches. We're fucking back. I like it. And I'm actually, I'm, I'm not as, I don't know if, if many people are. So honestly, I haven't taken the temperature here. I'm not as negative about next year's team in roster construction. Uh, I feel, I feel as at, at least most of the people that, that I've seen, I know people are, I've heard some, some rumblings. Oh, we don't have any, you know, true big men or, or this and that, but that doesn't worry me as much. Because this team, or in, in a sense, modern college basketball doesn't revolve around the Chris Vote type centers, really. And you don't need them to be successful in, in the modern game. You need more athletic wings. You need ball handlers. You need shooters. And I, I feel like that's what we're trying to construct. And I feel like that's what, what he's also doing. I think there's also a little bit of mix of, of balancing the need for open roster spots in the recruiting pipeline. I get that. And I totally agree. You need that because there's a great reset coming in 2023. That's what this was all building toward. When you saw who he was pulling in from the transfer portal and the fact that Rob Finnessy is a one-year guy, Ezekbe is a one-year guy. Uh, Nolly could be two years, could be one year. Uh, paired with DeJulius for one more year. Micah Adams-Woods for one, one year probably. Jeremiah Davenport, one year probably. Like this is clearly a resetting of the deck. However, if that's paired with a mediocre ass recruiting class in 2023, you would be panicked for next year. You would say, well, what's the plan here? How are we rebuilding this as we head into the big 12? Once you add a Rayvon Griffith and let's say you add an Isaiah Collier, the vision is a lot more clear and it is amazing to see Wes Miller be ambitious with his recruiting and say, I don't give a shit what the letters on the on the chest are. I'm going into living rooms and I'm making relationships and I'm going to gain the trust of a top 50 type recruit in Rayvon Griffith. Yes, he's from Cincinnati, but I'm going to gain his trust and say, come to Cincinnati and build something special here. And, and it says something that he's able to, to go for it, but also close the deal. Because there are coaches who would go for that type of player not land him and say, well, we're going after the top. I mean, I'm going after him, guys. I'm doing my best. No, he went out and, and he did it. He still has to close Collier, and that's easier said than done. But there is sort of, there's a model now. There's, there's a piece of evidence into the future that says, I do have a plan for rebuilding and restocking this roster. And now when you put, you know, guys like, like uh, Daniel Skillings, Josh Reed, two wings that I absolutely love from a potential standpoint, you're adding another wing in Rayvon Griffith. You've got Landers Nolly. You're starting to see that West Miller does have a type. And I do, we have the same type. I like his types. <laughs> sounds, sounds so sensual. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. I mean, what else we want to say? Like the, for even his first, the 2022 recruiting classes, it was good. But like for the people who are out there panicking, I, I sit there and think like, well, yeah. Obviously, we got to wait till we see what happens to 2023 recruiting class. And the big difference between this regime and the previous regime is that we didn't have everybody, but like four people transfer. Like we still could have fielded a basketball team after the last game. Like we could have gone out and played another game just for fun on, on the street. We could have played a street basketball game with the current Cincinnati roster at the, after the day after the last season. And so what I think, like I said, what I think he was doing is looking just to, to kind of balance it, get some athletic guard, get some athletic wing, and and let's just and let's let's work in these freshmen that we're gonna have because look, the 2022 recruiting class isn't too shabby either. 
I, I think he did a great job with the, with the first class and with what we're looking for, I think Sage Tolentino might be the, like the one shot in the dark here. But I, I think when you compare that with what we are now seeing from the 23, this is what we were expecting from Wes Miller. This is what we were hoping for Wes Miller. And so now what we're going to want to start seeing over the course of this season is we want to see progression in these players. We want to see people getting better not worse like we did at the end of last season. And then we want to see more wins that that's really ultimately what this comes down to is we want to see uh, trips to the NCAA tournament. And now we want like the expectations are now coming fast, hard and heavy for Wes Miller to put results up on, on the board. Perfectly said, perfectly said. And I made a face at you when you talked about the 22 class and that was me having a brain fart thinking you were just talking about the transfer portal. I, I love the 2022 class. I love Daniel Skilling's. I love Josh Reed, even Tolentino, who's someone I'm, I'm just not as sure on. Like he's not someone who's a shot in the dark. He he seems like a project. He's a seven footer man. And and, you go and and get them. You take a seven footer anytime you can get one. One out of 10, seven footers ends up in the NBA. So I, you know, statistically (laughs) that's what happens in the world. So if you can get one on your team, go ahead and do it, but it's going to be a project and it's going to require some, some Mike Ray felt magic. And and some development on his side. But again, it's a seven foot flyer and one out of 10 and up at the NBA. And, would, and let's, 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 let's clear this out there too. If he does plan out, if he is a stud, if he does develop, he does while he is hometown is Honolulu, Hawaii. He does currently play at Hamilton high school. That is on the, everybody here should know this, but it's on the outskirts of Cincinnati, right? It's, it's not that far away. That would be a hometown hero. That would be another hometown hero to go alongside another hometown hero in Ravon Griffith. So look, the more we can get local recruiting, if you're getting the best of your hometown of your area, that's always good as well. Those guys, this should be the first stop. This used to be something where people would pass over Cincinnati and say, well, I'm not going there or a previous regime didn't like recruiting here for some reason. And no, we should be picking off the best of the best in our backyard. Right. We should be recruiting, obviously, from the Northeast. We should be recruiting from Cincinnati if we can every once in a while. I think the I think the Northwest is probably actually maybe somewhere we could recruit, but maybe I don't know. Maybe we just had bad experience with with, you know, people not wanting to come this far west or east and then and then wanting to go back. So I, I don't know, but I feel like this should be our the whole Northeast Midwest should be like our fertile grounds of where we get our players and with with West Miller's knowledge his his connections to the south in georgia and carolinas dude we should be primed locked and loaded to get some great basketball players coming through this school we really should we really should and and you know we we're not naive we've also heard enough to know that getting a player like ravon griffith to commit is not as simple as he wants to play for his hometown team how much it cost that's what i'm saying (laughs) There had to be, there, there's, there's a dollar figure and I, you know, I'm not going to talk about the speculation I've heard, but it did cause something. And that's, there's, there's big enough demand there when you're being recruited by schools like UCLA, Kansas, Cincinnati, Ohio state, those are big boys. Those are, those are big boys with big funds. And as alluded to earlier, yes, it's a good sign for the quality of the basketball product, but we're operating in this new world order. It is also a good sign that you see the donor base and the fan base, the whole institution, the infrastructure is locked and loaded to put their big boy pants on and start trying to, to play in the same ballpark as every, as all these other big schools. I, to me, it is a clear indicator that Cincinnati is, is ponying up in that regard. Now, in terms of these big boy pants that we're putting on, do you see them as like, custom like like bespoke trousers like we're we're so locked in that we have every measurement ready to go these are being you know bespoke woven on the body of the mannequin here is it more custom made or is it more kind of like are we looking more off the rack like brooks brooks brothers type of suits i think i think we're a little more off the rack we're kind of flying by the seat of our pants right now we found out that that the the gala did you say gala or gala I would say gala, the Met Gala, the Met Gala, the Met Gala is happening right now. I only know that my wife, my wife said that to me earlier tonight. (laughs) As we record this, the Met Gala is happening, and and to me, 
we got invited to the Met Gala a little bit late. We didn't have time for the custom design and we had to just go. This is not a good comparison because I know you would never do this for the Met Gala, but let's say we just walked up threw something nice and kind of fancy on slopped it together to make sure we got the job done. I do think that we're kind of, we're kind of operating in that stratosphere right now. We're kind okay. of, we, I don't think the infrastructure is truly established. I think they're working on it. I don't think that we know necessarily how exactly we're going to sustain this year in year out. But I do think that we are very interested in setting that infrastructure up so that we can be sustainable and we can be a player in future transfer portals. Cause the more I thought about it and in sort of what my transfer portal wish list looked like, I quickly realized that, Oh, it's just a wish list. And to get the best guys, we have to have hundreds of thousands of dollars available. And when you look at our roster construction for next season, it does not make sense from an ROI perspective to go all in with those hundreds of thousands of dollars for that type of player. And so it does seem like a calculated decision on Wes Miller and his staff um, from their vantage point to say, look, we can't go all in this year, given what the talent is and given what our projection is, we can try and get the type of player that's going to move the needle forward, continue to establish the culture, continue to establish a style of play that can be consistent and improve as the year goes on. But we are going to really allocate our resources in a way that's going to let us be great into the future. And to me, that's where the 2023 class comes into play. Well, I, I agree with everything you're saying. The only thing I'm disagreeing, well, not everything. You're, one, you said hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars, which I think you're alluding to eventually into the millions of dollars. <laughs> I, I believe that... For any one player. Well, for what is going to end up happening, though, is there's going to be a certain... There, there, I don't even know if there will or what that limit will be like. I can't, I can't fathom it because I don't know. We don't know. What will be the upper limit of how much is seen as valuable to some people to where they stop saying, you know what, I'm not going to donate anymore. And I guess a perfect example is something stupid like the, the Kansas guy who bought the rules of basketball to bring them to Lawrence, Kansas, right? <laughs> At some point, he originally said, I'll put up a million dollars and we'll share it, right? But he ends up spending like 3.8 million or something. And after all fees and said, it came out to be like 4.4 or $4.5 million to bring the rules of basketball to Lawrence, Kansas. And you could see throughout this process, though, there was a point in time where he's like, when is enough enough, right? And so at some point, we are going to hit that limit with NIL where donors are going to say, okay, how much is enough enough at what, what is that limit? What is the star basketball player actually worth at X university? And it's not going to be necessarily formulaic, but there is going to be a hierarchy that comes out to it. Like, Oh, the stud at Duke and UCLA are worth more than the stud at Miami. Right. It, or, and so there is going to be that. So with, with something like you see, I think it, we are going to be sustainable from the fact that, there's just gonna be, I think there is gonna be money ball that comes into this. You're going to be taking analytics, pairing it with it, and trying to squeeze the best value out of it. I think at some point we're we're gonna to get to the point where there is gonna be a finite amount of money that is available. So we're gonna see analytics getting involved and we're going to see people saying, All right, this is how much your spot is worth for your role. And it's going to kind of be defined and you're going to see players who do transfer out because maybe they do have a year like last year where Jeremiah Davenport has, you know, jumps up to, Oh, I might be a star. Right. And so he wants to transfer out to go get more money. Uh, and then it pans out, or if it doesn't pan out, then they have to go somewhere else. So I think that's also where the NCAA maybe be able to help by doing, by reinstating the transfer limits and making guys actually wait out a year after their first transfer, like you always get one free, your second one costs you a year, something along those lines. But I do think that we'll be able to sustain it as long as we are able to be smart about the players we're bringing in. And that that's where Wes Miller comes in and identifying the talent that he wants on the roster. So the coach is still going to be integral to this part of being successful. They're just going to have to be the guys who are the gatekeepers and the ones that are identifying the guys that they want to bring in and maximizing the resources that they have. It's just going to be just like today, just the resources are going to be outside of the university instead of inside of it. They're going to be both. 
and they're going to be competing against each other. Like in, in all reality, John Cunningham, I'm sure knows that we need an NIL collective at UC. We need to have it so that our coaches can compete with the type of talent they need against, you know, like we watched what we looked like against the best talent in the American athletic last year. And it was, it was, we, we paled in comparison. And if you're John Cunningham, you know that we now need to find the resources externally to lure these guys to our university. Like it's just, that's the way it is now. I'm sure that when Wes Miller and Luke Fickle walk into rooms and meet with these guys, one of the first questions, if not the first question they hear is, well, how much, how much we talking? That's the new way of things. So John Cunningham knows that we need that to exist. Those dollars that go into that collective are going to be directly competing against the dollars that John Cunningham also needs for facility upgrades and for coaching salaries and for the general upkeep of our athletics programs. And so those two things are kind of at odds, but they can work together in unison. And as long as you have an AD that recognizes that reality and accepts it and embraces it and is trying to point our university in that direction, I think you're in, you're in good shape. And by all accounts, we're in good shape. I just had a, a weird kind of tangent thought that is kind of like the, the black hole. No one wants to hear about this. You know, put your earmuffs on. This could spell the death of every other college, non-revenue generating college athletic sport. Because if you start running it like an actual business, like it is, and you need to trim fat to compete and be able to have the best facilities using the resources that you have internally, i.e. TV contracts, money that's actually belonging to the university, and then whereby donors are basically funding the bill for player salaries, you now have an, a business model where it doesn't have room for men's and women's tennis, doesn't have room necessarily for lacrosse or just non-revenue generating sports. I could see this being maybe the beginning of the end of officially sponsored athletic sports that aren't revenue generating. It's an interesting thought. I mean, it all has to it be probably within, never happen. I just, it has to be yeah. within the construct of title nine, right? Title nine will influence what you can and can't have. You're going to have to keep most program or at least an equal amount of programs in place that make, make you compliant from that perspective. But I do agree. Men's women's basketball, women's softball, men's baseball, oh, women's football, softball. give it to and me. women's women's soccer, women's volleyball. Women's volleyball or soccer, yeah, take take one. I don't know if it's scholarship amount or or what, but yeah, it's beyond it's, my pay. It's beyond my pay grade, but to me, it's a completely <laughs> fair. It's a completely fair kind of question by you, which is, it's becoming more and more about money efficiency, essentially. And you're, I do agree with you that the the market will will calm down. It will balance out. We'll learn what is and isn't kind of a, a good investment uh, from an NIL perspective. Well, $3, but, mil $3 million for the wide receiver at UCLA is I think what I read. It's, it's bananas. It's bananas. For a, wide, for, for a wide receiver? You're telling a guy just got paid in college more than what his counterpart is getting paid from a draft perspective in the NFL. Honestly, there's not a better time to be in the transfer portal if you are a decent uh, from a basketball perspective, especially and really football too, if you are a decent player, there is not a better time to be in the transfer portal. And and I say this with a completely straight face. If Jeremiah Davenport had entered the transfer portal, that dude would have gotten paid like big time paid by, by someone desperate to sort of make, make a splash, a coaching staff that's looking to kind of get their, footing. we don't know. We don't know if he didn't get paid. I, I don't think he would have a greater demand in the portal being pursued by an external party than he would be retained by his current university due to just due to the the, the, the current status of the player at the university. Like his season. I, I'm just saying, I'm just saying we don't know if he got paid to stay and not transfer. I think I know. I'm just playing devil's advocate there. I've had enough but conversations to not think that that's like a big factor in this whole thing. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. But 
alas. Anyway, look, this was, there's so much more we can get into on this. All in all, I'm leaving it excited. We're not even getting into what, what it means specifically for next year. And I do think that if I'm going to throw some cold water on this whole thing, next year's team is very funky from a roster construct standpoint. But there is, to me, there is already tenfold more reasons to be excited about each game when I look at what Skillings is going to bring, what Nolly's going to bring, what Reed is going to bring. And kind of, uh, it's going to be again a deep roster where minutes will be more balanced and there's not necessarily reasons to give guys like Jeremiah Davenport, Mike Adams Woods upwards of 30 minutes a game. Like they are going to lose minutes next year just based on the depth we have at their same positions. And that will make us stronger as a team. But the front court and anybody asking questions about the front court is a totally valid question because you're going into the season with a Guama lock in and Ezekiel Bay as your front court players. In addition to like smaller Hensley Davenport Nolly types, it's a small team like, and, and there's, it could be exciting. It could be good in some ways, but it's also going to present some significant challenges in terms of rebounding and, and rim protection. But those are, those are questions for another day, my friend. For now, I'll just say it was fantastic having you back on the podcast, and let's get this thing cranking again. It feels good, and I can't wait to talk about the basketball team because, look, it can only go, in my opinion, last year was bad, and it can, it can, and that actually it should be the floor. We should not be worse than what last year was. I agree. So I that's agree. me putting some gas back on the fire. We'll talk about that another day. All right, buddy. Have a good one. Cheers, bud. Cheers.